What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Artists and Data Science Podcast. Today, we've got a conversations episode where we get to hear from people who are doing interesting work, pursuing awesome things, adding awesome value to the world. So we get a chance to get inside their heads, see what makes them tick, and walk away with a new perspective that will help us in our journey. So as you guys know, these episodes are less structured, less formal than what you normally hear on the show. Raw, unedited, unproduced for the most part. So thank you for tuning in. I would love to hear what you think about these episodes. So please send me an email at theartistsofdatascience at gmail.com with your thoughts. Our guest today is a data engineer who is working with financial teams and product owners to automate financial reporting to save time and streamline complex processes. She's had a wide variety of roles, ranging from work in social media to blogging to data architecture to data engineering. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me welcome our guest today, Madison Shot. Madison, thank you so much for taking time and your schedule to come on the show today. Appreciate having you here. Yeah, it's great being here. Yeah, so I met you-ish through Data Science Dream Job. I know you're a student there. I don't think you've ever actually been telling my office hours there, but I do remember seeing you posting stuff on our little community there. And I started following you on LinkedIn and I was just like, oh man, this person is awesome. She's got amazing content about things that I am really like fascinated by, which is wellness and just living a good life and and trying to just be balanced and and having some equanimity and things like that. So I really, really enjoyed uh, the stuff that you're posting. So I'm excited to get to learn more about you. Let's start with where you grew up and what it was like there. So I grew up in a small suburban town outside of Philadelphia, pretty much like what you typically think of like a small suburban town. Not too many people, not very much diversity. I definitely was always having the itch to go away to the city. My dad would always take me on weekend trips to New York, and I knew that's always where I wanted to be when I grew up. Yeah. So Philadelphia is cool, man. I like that area. I've been there a couple of times. So which like you talk about the big city. So Philadelphia was not the big city like with the suburb you're at. The big city was considered New York. Well, Philadelphia was always interesting to me, but I always wanted to be in New York. I didn't explore Philadelphia too much. Like for me growing up, I was always super interested in fashion and sewing. So all the good fabric stores were in the garment district in New York. But sometimes I'd make my dad take me to Philadelphia too, but I didn't have as much of a fascination for some reason. So fashion to data engineering, like that's that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite the career trajectory. So talk to us, I guess, about when you were in high school, what you thought your future would look like. So I've always been super into math. I loved my math classes in college. That was always my favorite thing. I was always a perfectionist, probably too much. One point, my teacher was like, this girl needs to stop getting hundreds on everything. Like she's way too type A Um, (laughs) and always taking like the AP classes and everything. I always loved school, loved learning. And then I also was really into cross country, uh, ran cross country and track in high school. And then I was also super interested in sewing. So I took sewing lessons at the YMCA when I was like eight years old. And then my mom had me in those for the rest of my high school career And it's kind of, it's a very interesting thing. And most people don't have like both sides of your brain where you're super creative, but also love math. But sewing was actually also very technical. And I think people don't 
realize that there's a lot of measurements and skill that goes into that as well. Dude, I'd even say like even math is creative. Like it requires a bit of creativity and abstract thinking to excel in math. So they both kind of, I could see how they complement each other. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you still do any type of sewing or, or any like fashion designing activities? Yeah. You do? Yeah. I love making my own clothes right now. I've been traveling, so I don't have my sewing machine, but when I go back home to my parents for the summer, I'm excited to start making things again because that's definitely my way to decompress and to really show my creative side. Um, I love kind of like looking at different runway shows and seeing how I can make that myself. And I'm also super into sustainability. So that's a sustainable way rather than supporting like fast fashion industry. Definitely. Yeah. Just make your own clothes. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. But yeah, I think it's important to have that type of those activities that balance like the technical nature of our work to have something that's fun and creative to do. I wish I had like a creative activity. All I do is like just talk yeah. to people and post episodes. I don't know. Oh, if that, that's creative too. <laughs> I guess, you know what? I was thinking about this before is because I had the opportunity to speak to people and just speak words into existence, combinations of words between two people mm-hmm. that have never existed before. Like if that isn't creative, I don't know what it is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I feel better about myself though. All right. So how different is life now than what you imagined it would be? So, yeah, that's an interesting question. So I feel like I always pictured myself as being very independent, like living in a big city, kind of just making my own dreams happen, being financially independent. And I would say a lot of that is very true to what I have now, except the big city part. I definitely didn't expect to be able to travel around from city to city. And I definitely didn't expect to be living in DC after college. But besides that, I'm pretty happy with everything and how it's turned out so far. Yeah, I feel like it's when you have a vision of what you want in the future, and you're determined to make it happen, then there's nothing really in your way. Absolutely. And for people who are listening, Madison was letting me know before the show that she's actually doing this cool thing where she is bouncing around to different cities, staying at Airbnbs, I presume. Yep. Uh, just because taking advantage of like the remote nature of the world we are in right now, yep. right? Exactly. That's yeah, really cool, man. So I know you told me already, but, but talk to us a little bit about where you've bounced around to. So started off quarantined at my parents' house in Pennsylvania. That didn't last very long. It's definitely interesting living with your parents after living by yourself for so long. And then we went to Denver, Colorado, Santa Fe, New Mexico, Tucson, Arizona, Phoenix, Arizona, and now I'm in Austin, Texas. And just road tripping the entire way? Yep. Nice. (laughs) Luckily, I have a boyfriend that likes to drive, so I haven't really driven any of it at all. (laughs) He kind of just drove for three days straight, so... Sounds like my kind of dude. I'd love to drive yeah. as well. Yeah. So how'd you get interested and involved in data engineering? So I was actually interning at a fashion company, a sustainable fashion company doing social media. And that was a really fun internship, but I didn't feel very challenged. I wanted something where I was really learning and just feeling like solving difficult problems, essentially. So I actually started talking to the tech person there and she was telling me about data science. So I decided to look more into it and I decided that that was something I was really interested in. At this point, I was a junior in college, so it was kind of too late for me to change my major. I was a mathematical finance and marketing major. So luckily, I still had that math experience that a lot of companies still look for. 
And I started taking advantage of being close, so close to New York City. And I started going to hackathons, like free workshops, different events that tech companies in the area would put on. And just really exposing myself to that network of engineers and just learning and teaching myself, essentially. Mathematical finance is really, really interesting. I had to study that topic when I was taking actuarial exams. Mm-hmm. So I was doing like bonds and options pricings and like Black-Scholes formula and all that crazy stuff, man. That stuff is really, really interesting. Yeah, it was definitely interesting. Um, I think in a lot of my classes, it was all like the typical finance bros <laughs> that just loved like doing stocks and wanted to be on Wall Street. And then it was me who was just really good at math. <laughs> And it was kind of interesting to see the difference between us. And I pretty much always blew them out of the water in grades because of my math skills. And now people like us are going to be automating those stonks bros jobs away, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Algorithmic trading, definitely. So where do you see data engineering headed in like the next two to five years? Well, that's a good question. So I feel like data engineering is still so broad like even within the company that i work for there's data engineers doing so many different things like one person could be working on aws while someone else is like writing quantum and sql workflows so i guess it really depends like what kind of data engineers you're talking about but i think like just speed and optimizing and automating is going to be the future Everyone's getting more data, so it's figuring out a way to store it, make it faster, and automate everything. The interesting point you made there about like what type of data engineer you are, because data science itself is like a broad umbrella mm-hmm. category. Because when you say, oh, I'm a data scientist, like that can mean any number of things, at least to me. So when you think about the types of data engineers, like what are the different types? Like Are there like cloud data engineer, big data engineer? Like Where do you see those delineations being made? So I can speak from my own personal experience. So I've had two different roles within my current company. One was a DevOps role, and I was just really automating like our AWS infrastructure, which you wouldn't really think that's typically a data engineer. But I mean, I guess because you're working on hosting all the different code and optimizing it. And then my past role that I just transitioned into a new role, but I'm writing, I was writing like quantum and SQL workflows and doing like DBT modeling, which is completely different from AWS infrastructure. Those are things I've never heard of. Quantum, <laughs> DBT modeling, nope, don't have any. Yeah, that's <laughs> more analytics, which is interesting. Yeah. So there's even kind of like an overlap between analytics and data engineering. Yeah, man, it's a huge, huge field. So what do you think, I mean, given that it's a huge field and, you know, like we talked about, there's different types of roles, even within this umbrella. What do you think, based on your career trajectory, what aspiring data engineers could do now to help prepare themselves for, you know, the future? So I think the technology within data engineering is still changing super fast. So just staying on top of technologies, finding blogs that you really like to read, newsletters that keep you up to date. I think in school, they really don't teach you any of the up-to-date technologies that companies are actually using. So if you can find a way to figure out what companies are looking for before you're applying to jobs, even just like going through LinkedIn and looking at job descriptions, like the data engineering job descriptions are all so different. So just looking at technologies of 
companies that you'd want to work for and trying to teach yourself that would be super helpful. What are some blogs or, or newsletter that you currently are following or subscribe to? So I love Towards Data Science on Medium. I've written for them and they just have awesome articles in general. Uh, I really like Gary's Guide, which is kind of like an events newsletter. It's specific to New York City, but right now all the events are virtual. So I've gone to a lot of them, those events, and you can just learn like about what different companies are doing. Um, And it's a great networking opportunity. Uh, I like NYU's data science newsletter. They post like a lot of research, which is really cool. There's one by James Clear, Atomic, uh, the author of Atomic Habits. I love his newsletter. That's my favorite. That's not specific to data science, but I just think that's a great motivation, motivational newsletter for helping you reach your goals. Yeah, definitely. Like great resources. I know the audience is going to appreciate that. Have some good resources for blogs and newsletters. And it's good that you mentioned your writing and then your interest in personal development and self-growth type of stuff, because definitely want to get into that because you've got some awesome blog posts as well. Uh, But before we get into that, just a couple more questions here about your thoughts on data engineering. Specifically, Mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about data engineering becoming the new sexiest job of the century? Yeah, I don't know about that. (laughs) I think there's a lot of work that goes into it. And I don't know if I would call that work sexy necessarily. Um, kind of same with data science, like on the surface, it seems really cool, but you don't realize all the nitty gritty that goes into it. And even just the manual work that there still is, like it still has a far way to go. And I know like I'm still manually entering, like registering data in our one lake every day. And I guess that's definitely not sexy. <laughs> Yeah, so you've had roles as both a data architect and a data engineer. And that's like something that I can't really, it's hard for me to understand the difference between the two because I don't really understand the roles that well. So I was hoping maybe you can help me understand like what's the difference between a data architect and, and a data engineer. So when I was doing data architecture work, it was more so modeling the data. So kind of designing the databases almost and like primary keys to each table and how each table relates to one another. It wasn't necessarily like looking back on it. I don't know. The company that I did that for was also like way like years behind in technology compared to the company I work for now. So I'm not sure if every company does it that way. But for me, when I was doing data architecture, there wasn't really much like coding or technical skills, really. It was just kind of learning about how a database works and how like different relationships um, and columns in the database relate to one another. Awesome. Thank you for helping me understand that. Things a little bit more clear in my mind now. So let's talk about how to thrive during lockdown and the pandemic. You had this wonderful article written about how to thrive in quarantine, what to do, play, read, watch, and cook. So let's, let's talk about this. How are you thriving so far in the quarantine? So I've honestly been having a great time um, this last few months. I personally love being in my own space and being able to dictate my own schedule and have like all my own resources around me as compared to an office. Like just some simple things that I've noticed being able to cook my own meals at home has made such a difference and eat when I want to eat rather than like a set lunch period in the office. Um, or just like heating up food, it's harder to eat healthier meals when you're in an office. 
And also the snacks that they would have in the office just weren't healthy at all. And even the catering, and it's just very tempting to eat bad food. You would think that companies would have that more figured out to give you snacks that feel you throughout the workday. Um, and then another thing I've noticed is just like the lighting at home compared to being in an office, like the fluorescent lights, they just were never good for me and being able to work in them. And just, I don't know, there's just something about being in your own environment. I've been able to work out during my lunch breaks, which has been really fun. And I've found a trainer that I really enjoy that has an awesome community. So that's been a big plus. And being able to get better sleep has also been super important. Yeah, I definitely love working from home as well, just because like my office is so spacious. Like I get so much freaking space as opposed to like in the office, just like a cubicle. I feel like really constricted. Like I can't even like stretch fully. It's yeah, it's not comfortable. So speaking about this trainer with a nice community, like is this all done virtually? Yep. So she does virtual live classes and her classes are like all weightlifting um, classes, which that's something that I kind of just started taking up at the beginning of quarantine. So I've built out my dumbbell collection at home now, and I don't think I ever want to work, uh, work out in the gym again. I've really enjoyed it. So nice. And you write a lot about healthy eating and, and you got a bunch of awesome recipes on your website as well. Talk to us about how you got interested in that. So in high school, I've always been someone that's interested in health and fitness. I mentioned that I ran cross country and track, but in high school, I was just constantly like sick after eating pretty much anything. At least that's how it felt. Um, And I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease and my doctor just didn't really have any answers for me. She did not know how to make me feel better. She kind of just gave me medicine and told me to take that and everything would be fine. And that was fine for a little bit, but I really wasn't getting any better. So I kind of took my health into my own hands. Like this, just the feeling of not being able to go to a restaurant or hang out with friends. Cause you're just feeling sick all the time where you're just laying in bed, curled up in a ball. It's a terrible feeling. So that's kind of when I started doing my own research and looking into different diets and different like wellness plans. And I actually came upon veganism first and I decided that that was my solution. I'd cut out all meat and then things got better for like a little bit. And then I was just constantly tired. Like when I was a data architecture intern, someone would literally be talking to me and I would fall asleep as they were talking to me. Like my eyes would shut. And I, I was convinced that I had narcolepsy because I was like, this makes no sense. Like I'm a super driven individual. I want to do well. I want to succeed. I care what these people are telling me. They're helping me with my career. This just doesn't make any sense. And I was also just getting super bloated all the time. Just feel like I was nine months pregnant, which is an awful feeling. So that's kind of when I started to do more research and I actually started dating my current boyfriend and he was also super into health and wellness. So it definitely helps to have a significant other that's also has the same values as you. And he was also like a pescatarian at the time, but then he started doing his own research and found grass fed meats and kind of the importance of uh, eating these animals that are well raised. And he was telling me like, this is really going to help solve all your problems. Like meat gives you so much energy And I finally was just feeling so defeated that I ate meat again. And it seems like most of my problems just went away overnight. So I'm a big 
advocator of not being a vegan um, and eating meat, but meat that's sourced um, very well. I was actually just at a regenerative agriculture ranch this past weekend, which was really cool. So eating meat that's 100% grass fed from your local farmers or 100% pasture raised. And that's something that has changed my health dramatically. You're on what kind of a farm? (laughs) Regenerative (laughs) agriculture. Yeah. So I definitely try and educate a lot of people about this because it's the one source, in my opinion, that can actually help save the environment. So people say that veganism uh, helps save the environment, but you're not really actually reversing any of the damage to the earth. So with regenerative agriculture, you're not letting the soil get super depleted. You're actually using animals to help regenerate the soil and help the soil get back its nutrients. And you rotate them around the land and it helps that the land that they were on grow back. um, And it actually helps sequester carbon from the environment. Awesome. Yeah. I'm reminded of like these farms that I would pass by on Interstate 5 driving from California to Sacramento to Los Angeles. And you would pass by some of these farms where they were not regenerative farms, but they were just, you see the animals and they're just locked up in horrible conditions, right? Oh just, yeah, yeah, that's the worst. Yeah, so. You not encourage anyone to eat that type of meat. Yeah, yeah, I actually don't eat any meat at all. So there's something interesting that I read when I was coming across your blog. Like I mentioned, I don't eat meat just because it hurts, makes my stomach hurt. Mm-hmm. not a fan of it. Yeah, and that's something really important that I think a lot of people in the wellness community don't talk about is that one diet doesn't fit everyone. Mm-hmm. You want to eat what makes you feel good. Don't eat a diet just because someone else is saying that that's the best for the environment or best for your health. Like listen to your own body. It's so important. Yeah, I think that's definitely important for like anything. It's just like not having to take anyone's prescription, but then experiment and see what works for you. Like even with me and this personal development, self-growth type of journey, it started out with me just taking like prescriptions from people like, oh, Robin Sarma said I should do this. So I do this and I would do it for a while, but then I'd stop. But I've slowly begun to realize that, okay, I should just take the elements of all these teachings, all these learnings that I'm being exposed to and then cobble them together into like my own that works for me. And that's yes. been, that's been very help for me. How, how about you? Like you're also all about personal growth and things like that. How has your journey been? How have you been able to, you know, kind of propel yourself on this trajectory of personal growth? So I've always loved learning and reading. So I think I discovered a lot of the habits and just ways of successful people through that. And I've always been super interested in entrepreneurship. So it's always great to hear the advice of those people. I guess a few things that have personally helped me a lot is sleep. I was definitely so sleep deprived throughout high school and college and good sleep really makes a huge difference. Uh, Even just like I have red light bulbs in my bedroom or blue light blocking glasses And I wear a whoop now, which is like a fitness tracker and it tracks how well your sleep is. So you can kind of optimize it each night. And yeah, one thing that a lot of successful people will say is waking up early. You mentioned Robin Sharma, like the 5 a.m. club. I definitely did that for a little bit, but I've never been a morning person. And I think it's really important to honor that you need to do what's best for your own body. And just because like 70% of entrepreneurs are waking up early at 5 a.m. That doesn't mean you also have to do that to be successful. 
Yeah, chronobiology is a thing. Have you heard of uh, this book by Daniel Pink called When? It's just the scientific no, secret. No, I haven't. What's that about? It's all about timing and and it's the scientific secrets of optimal timing or whatever like that. But he talks a lot about this concept of chronobiology that there are larks who wake up early in the morning and there's owls who actually stay up late at night and then there's people in the middle. But it, it's a phenomenal read. I definitely encourage you checking it out if you get an opportunity to. Yeah. So about that waking up early thing, dude, like for a very, very long time, I'd go to bed at like 10 or wake up at four. So six hours of sleep every night. And I thought that was all I needed. And it wasn't until like middle of February that it's like I hit by a ton of bricks. I just physically unable to wake up at 4 a.m. anymore. And so recently I've been waking up at like 5.30, almost 6 a.m. But instead of getting six hours of sleep, I'm getting like a full seven and a half, eight hours of sleep. It's done wonders for my mood because I was, dude, like I had headaches all day, every day. I think it was that compounded lack of sleep for so long. Couple yeah, out. think about like all the productive hours you're missing by having headache. It's like, is it really worth waking up an hour earlier to deal with that all day? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Madison, why is almond milk not as healthy as I think it is? And this is coming from somebody. <laughs> this is like, I I absolutely love almond milk. And recently, my wife made me switch to oat milk. Okay, so with oat milk, make sure you're getting organic oat milk. That's another thing that I talk about a lot. And just like with milks in general, the added gums and like natural flavors and chemicals that they add to them can be really inflammatory. So for me personally, I was, even after I transitioned to me, I was feeling a lot better, but I still noticed that I would have my morning coffee and I'd be immediately bloated after. I'm like, this makes no sense. I've barely even eaten anything today. And then I kind of looked more into almonds and nut milks. And it just turns out that there's so many, I guess, so it's actually almond flour that's worse than the almond milk. But I have found that because there's just so many almonds packed into a little bit of flour. But the almond milk was just bloating me too. Like nuts have a lot of fat and a lot of omega-6 in them. So they can bloat you if you're super sensitive to them. So just that soup, that like little change of switching to hundred percent grass fed half and half in the morning has like completely eliminated me bloating in the morning. Yeah. I definitely have to try some, some of this grass fed half and half. Like I, I prefer my coffee black, but I came across a post of yours recently that said that that might not actually be the best way to have coffee, especially if you do so like early in the morning before an empty stomach. What was that all yeah, about? Yeah. So there's actually a study that came out recently about how black coffee on an empty stomach affects your hormones. So it's more so for women than for men, but it can cause a dramatic cortisol spike if you don't have any food in your system. I still drink my coffee with collagen and creamer. So it's a little bit better. I just, I'm never really hungry in the morning, so I can't wait until like afternoon to drink my coffee, but that's just something to be aware of. Yeah. Dude, I go through like a craft of coffee every morning, like a giant, <laughs> giant French press of coffee. I love that. Craft. <laughs> yeah. I look forward to my morning coffee as like the first thing I do when I wake up. So yes, same here. It's like literally first thing I do is boil the water and make that coffee. So talk to me about, so there's another thing that that I've seen you post a lot about, which I was like, oh man, this is awesome to see. And you've been really getting into stoicism. So how have you been implementing this into your daily routine? Yeah. So 
I love reading the Daily Stoic book every morning. So it has like a little prompt and that kind of just puts me in a good headspace, gets me thinking about just being mindful for the day. I think that's the biggest thing. And then I also really like the podcast. Um, If I don't have the book on me or if I'm walking uh, or out with my dog, I'll just play that. And it's like a nice little three minutes, gives you something to think about for your day. And I think the most important thing with me for stoicism is just learning to not be reactive to things and thinking about things either before you say them or do them. And it just, it really makes your relationship with other people a lot better. Yeah, it's something I've definitely been interested in the last almost like a year and a half, two years almost. I was reading this book was my introduction to it. I do my own kind of version of Daily Stoic in the morning. So I've, I got this book, The Practicing Stoic. So what I'll do is uh, I'll open this book and just divide it into chapters that deal with the different Stoic virtues mm-hmm. and then pull out a quote, transcribe the quote, reflect on it, and then write my interpretation of that. So I do that as part of my morning routine, morning ritual. Oh, cool. I've got, got like my fancy notebook that I write in. So <laughs> yeah, what's your... that book too. You, you have this one or you... No, I'll have to check it okay, out. Definitely Old recommend it. For book, so. yeah, th- this book and the book by Donald Robertson, uh, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, probably two of my favorite books that are strictly about stoicism. I know Ryan Holiday's got amazing books as well, but yeah, these are definitely two, two of my favorite ones. So what is your morning routine like? So right now, I usually wake up around seven. I like waking up without an alarm. I don't like having my phone in the bedroom at all. And I realized that when the alarm goes off, I just like instantly kind of stress. And that's not how I want to spend my morning or my boyfriend will wake me up. He gets up at like 4 a.m. Not not happening with me. But (laughs) once I get up, We've been taking the dog for a walk by the river here. So I kind of just don't look at my phone the first two hours and get ready for the day, head outside, do like a nice hour long nature walk with the dog and just talking to my boyfriend. And then we come home and usually I'll do like gratitude journal, read the daily stoic. And then I also have a journal where I write down everything that happens the previous day. So it kind of helps me remember what I'm actually doing with my years because it's easy to forget even just like what you did two days ago. Uh, and then I have my coffee, of course. I always have black coffee with some 100% grass-fed half and half and a scoop of collagen. And then I usually start my work day. Dude, that's like an op, like an awesome, awesome way to start your day. I remember there was, for actually for a very, very long time in my career, until just recently, maybe a couple of years ago, I would wake up super early as I usually do. and just get ready and go straight to work and just start working. And it would be before the sun's up. Like I'd be in the office by like 6 30, 7 a.m. Wow. First one there. And I just start working. And the days just felt like so, so long. And then I started reclaiming my morning for myself, which involved waking up a little bit earlier. But since I've done that, just like I feel much more tranquil throughout the day. So yeah, for I me, agree. For me, I just do a lot of like writing in the morning. The first like 30 40 minutes is of waking up is just writing so I do like the artist way journal I'm not sure if you've heard of that but it's three yeah. three pages freehand of whatever just is coming to your mind and then I do the the six minute journal which has like some elements of gratitude and setting intentions for the day and how you want to make it great and then I do that stoic reflection I was telling you about and then uh just read read for like an hour 
Yeah, I need to add reading back in my morning routine. It's definitely been interesting with the time zones. Uh, like in Air- when I was in Arizona, I was waking up and having stand up at like 6.30 in the morning, which was not fun. And that like completely got rid of my mornings there. So now that I'm more back on like East Coast time, um, I've been able to have more hours to myself. So I definitely love to read in the morning, but I think the most important thing for me is getting out in nature and just like being exposed to that natural sunlight in the morning is so good for you. And just like putting your circadian rhythm on track. Yeah. So talking about everything you're talking about is so important. I don't don't feel like people in the tech space discuss this or implement much of this in their life (laughs) as they should. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know. I think a lot of people are just misinformed, honestly. Like there's so much information out there that's just a bunch of garbage, honestly. And people don't, I guess people don't value their health as much as they should too, which is honestly sad, but they don't realize how everything relates. Like I think more and more people are kind of taking control of their health, but at least with young people, I think older people are still like stuck in their ways and the ideas that are etched in their minds I know even for my parents it's like been pretty hard to kind of get rid of the concepts that they've grown up with like fat is bad and sugar is fine as long as it's low calories yeah I don't know I guess it's just usually the type of people that the industry attracts I honestly don't know I think it's so important though because your brain power is everything with tech and your mental health and your nutrition and fitness is just so intertwined with that. Yeah, all that kind of works together, right? In order to have peak mental performance, you need to take care of not only your body, but also your actual mental health itself and make sure you're exercising that. I don't want to say spiritual muscle, but I guess I have no other way to, to say it, but that stuff is super, mm-hmm. super important. So, I mean, obviously there's a ton of technical skills that you need to be successful in any data-related roles, but what are some skills that you think that are not technical at all, that people in the data field, in the tech field, should cultivate to continue their success in their career? So one of the first ones that comes to mind, because I wrote a Medium article about it, is learning how to learn. So with tech, a lot of the time you're Googling things as you're doing them, and you're discovering new ways of doing things. So it's super important to recognize how you learn best, what the most efficient way is. So like, do you like to read books or articles or podcasts or videos and finding the best resources to help you learn? Like for me personally, I can only really learn by doing things. I love reading as well and taking what I read, but I have to implement them in order for something to stick. So recognizing that learning pattern is super important. And that's pretty much how I've taught myself everything with technology. Like I'm pretty much self-taught and taught on the job. So that's super important. So learning how to learn, how have you developed and cultivated that skill for yourself? I think just taking in as many resources as possible and seeing what you succeed in and what you're failing in and just being able to pivot and change that. So if you're spending all this time like reading articles but then when you go to do it you're not actually able to do it then maybe you need to pivot and think just being honest with yourself is key so are there any resources you can share with the audience so that they can learn how to learn better 
So again, I love Medium, uh, any kind of article on towards data science that teaches yeah. me a lot. For practicing SQL, I really like Leak Code because I can just practice it, all these problems essentially and it'll tell me whether my answer is wrong or not. And then you can read the discussions and see the best way and most optimized way of doing things. Any kind of YouTube video, honestly, like when people walk through their own projects, super helpful. Even looking at people's GitHubs and how they build things, you can pretty much like Google anything and find your answer. So yeah, I was expecting you to say something like Jim Quick's book, Limitless, or like that learning how to learn course on on course. I actually haven't read that. I need to read that. I've listened to him on podcasts before, but that's a great great book. Yeah, and there's also the course on Coursera, learning how to learn by Dr. Barbara oh, Oakley. Okay. Definitely recommend that as well. So you mentioned SQL. You also wrote something about how to ace. SQL interviews help mm -hmm. us out here. So practice is everything with these. I think you can read as many about many different SQL functions as you want, but if you don't practice then you're going to get better. So I like leak code for that just because I can constantly practice all these different problems and get real-time feedback. And it kind of keeps the functions all fresh in your head because I find even though I use SQL every day in work, a lot of the times you're just using the same functions over again. Whereas with Leak Code, it really pushes you to learn new ones. And I really like the discussion feature because even if you can find a solution, chances are you can also find someone else who has an even better solution and learn from that. And I think the biggest thing with SQL interviews is mastering joins, aggregate functions, and what was the last one? Subqueries. So a lot of companies will ask you to fit all your code into one query rather than using multiple ones. So that's something where you can like go on leak code, answer a problem using multiple queries, and then try and like refactor your code to do it in just one, which I think is a super helpful exercise. Kind of an important point that you made that, that first point about how in your current role, sometimes you end up just using the same functions over and over. So in order to kind of replace, not replace, but get past that, phenomenon where you do the same one year of work 10 years in a row using lead code to push you in and mm -hmm. further your boundaries that's i'd never thought of it that way that was really really interesting mm -hmm. thank you for that yeah i wish there was more tech companies that would come out with that like for different types of problems like i personally hate algorithm problems because i've never taken an algorithms class before so i really don't like that companies interview with those but i wish there was a way to practice like more real world problems using Python or JavaScript that aren't just strictly algorithm focused. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I hate those algorithms questions. <laughs> well, I mean, cause I didn't study like computer science in school. I got a graduate degree in math and statistics. So that was like mm -hmm. my bread and butter. So this algorithm stuff is new to me as well. Newish. Yeah. I mean, it's been a few years now that I've been in the field and digging into that stuff, but I still hate it. Absolutely hate it. Yeah. <laughs> like, too. I don't use any of it in my day-to-day, exactly. -day, like, ever. Yeah, like, ask me to code something that I, that you would actually be doing on the job, and that's completely different than coding, like, yeah, some, like, hash map problem or something. Sometimes I just want to get in an interview and just, like, people are asking me to do something crazy. I'm just like, is this how you actually do work on the day-to-day? -day? Like, this, <laughs> yeah. do you do problems that involve this? I'm just curious. An yeah. interview. Let me interview you and find out too. Yeah. Anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> so I was wondering if you could talk to 
as about your experience being a woman in data. And if you have any advice or words of encouragement for the women in our audience who are breaking into or currently in the data world. Yeah. So if you're looking to get into data engineering, definitely don't be discouraged. I encourage as many women as possible because we need more women on both of the teams that I've worked at. There have been no other women besides me. So that's definitely been interesting. I think I find that most people are like really inclusive and good, but I've definitely worked with people that are a little bit cringeworthy and that just talk over me or just act like I don't know what I'm doing. And that's definitely really discouraging. So you really kind of have to have your own motivation to push through sometimes. And I think it helps to get involved with like women in tech groups or finding a female mentor is super important. That's something that's helped me a lot. Uh, These last few months, I was able to find a great female mentor. And just making sure that you stay involved with the women in tech community. Because even if you don't have another woman on your team, there's definitely, they're out there in your company. So that's definitely important. But yeah, definitely just persevering. And if you do have a bad experience with someone, then know that not everyone is like that. And that I've had great managers and I've also had poor ones. So So with your current mentor, like how did that dynamic form? Was it just a matter of you emailing someone like, hey, please be my mentor? Or how did that happen? Was it organic? And how do you suggest people go about trying to find a mentor? So I actually tried to join her team because I really wanted a female manager. And of course, like two weeks after I joined her team, she moved to a different role. So I just made sure to stay in touch with her because she was one of the reasons why I was really attracted to that specific role. And it actually worked out well because I feel like when someone is not directly in your org, um, you're actually able to be more honest and open with them. And then some other female mentors that I've gotten have been through like mentorship circles that were organized. So if you don't have a mentorship circle in your uh, company, then definitely create one. A lot of people I'm sure are super interested But I also think like you can just message people on LinkedIn. And if you give a genuine message about why you look up to them and why you'd really like to speak to them and why you want advice from them, I think most people would be glad to do it, especially with with women. Women want to support other women for the most part. So what can the data community do to help foster the inclusion of women in data science types of roles? Yes, just be cognizant of like mansplaining I feel like is the biggest thing like it's very taboo but it really does happen and I think a lot of men don't mean to do it but it just kind of happens sometimes Uh, like there's been points where I've been giving presentations and someone would ask me a question and like someone else would answer it for me instead of letting me answer it which is super frustrating so I think it's just recognizing this kind of behavior and stopping yourself from doing it, essentially. Thank you very much for that, Madison. Appreciate that insight. And got a last formal question before we jump into a real quick random round. It's 100 years in the future. What do you want to be remembered for? So I feel like I have a lot of different passions. One of the things is just passion in general. I've always wanted to inspire people to go after their dreams, try new things and find something that they really enjoy. I think there's a lot of people in life that don't have something that they're truly passionate about. And it's either 
And most of the times I just haven't discovered it. So I'm always trying to encourage the people around me to try new things, um, to discover something that they're passionate about, because I think that really gives your life purpose and meaning. And then also with just health and wellness, that's something that I'm, again, super passionate about. And if I can just change one person's life and how they feel and make them feel a little bit better by the advice that I'm giving, then that's completely worth it to me. Yeah. And you're definitely giving some great advice and posting some awesome content on LinkedIn. I encourage everybody to follow Madison. I will link to your LinkedIn. That'll be in the show notes. Let's jump into a quick random round here. When do you think the first video to hit 1 trillion views on YouTube will happen? And what will it be about? So what is the most um, views that a video currently has? It's right around 9 billion and it is baby shark. (laughs) Wow. Okay. I mean, I hate to say it. It's like something political or when the world ends, like aliens coming down or something. Um, I kind of feel like with everything that's happened in the world in the last year, that might be a little bit closer than we think, unfortunately. So most people say like cat videos or baby videos, but (laughs) not the world ending. Yeah, yeah. That's the interesting perspective. When do you think that? When do you think the world will end, Madison? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, they say our food supply is going to be up in sixty years. So what? Yeah, the United Nations came out with that like a few months ago. I think um, oh, if we shit. keep farming our lands the way we do right now, that we'll run out of food in sixty years. So could be then, unless people start uh, getting into regenerative agriculture. So. Damn, that really shook my world just now. All right, that's uh, quite scary. So in your opinion, what do most people think within the first few seconds of meeting you for the first time? So I definitely have a major bitch face, like resting bitch face. So (laughs) probably that I'm not very friendly, but I'm definitely an introvert and I definitely just take time to open up to people. I'm definitely very shy. People probably take that the wrong way. Well, been smiling all throughout this video. I'm sure nobody picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, not in this case. <laughs> but yeah, I'm like, I'm a super introvert as well. And believe it or not, after even doing these podcasts and stuff, I still like time to myself to just chill and mm-hmm. relax. So I can definitely, definitely relate to you on that end. What are you currently reading? Currently reading, I wrote it down because I forget the name. Burn the Business Plan by Carl J. Schramm. So I saw someone talk about this book on LinkedIn and I thought it sounded interesting. I love entrepreneurship books. So it's basically just kind of telling about failure and why creating a plan isn't always the best idea to start something, which I think is interesting because a lot of the times people, people that start successful things just do it without really thinking about it. And a lot of the times they're the most successful people. I'm going to check that out. It said burn the business plan. Any other recommendations along that line? So I also just finished reading one that I really enjoyed. Um, it was Jordan Peterson's new book, Beyond Order. Mm. I really like his books because they're, I would say they're like philosophy books almost, but also kind of self-growth. Just everything that he was saying, all the different rules really resonated with me at this point in my life. I almost felt like he was writing directly to me. So that's always cool. And I'm excited to go through and read that one again, probably soon. Nice. Yeah, Jordan Peterson, for whatever reason, I feel like he gets like a bad rap and I don't understand why. 
Like, yeah, I think people just misinterpreted. I mean, people want to take offense to everything nowadays. It just depends how you look at his stuff. I mean, I really enjoy them. So yeah, are you like in general kind of a, a fan of Jordan Peterson? Because I have a recommendation for you if you are. Yeah. Uh, Akira the Don. Have you heard of Akira the Don? No. So what he does is he takes like essentially like a spoken word, cuts it up, puts it to a beat. And so he's taken interviews with like David Goggins and made tracks out of those amazing tracks. He's done interviews. He's taken interviews with like Joe Rogan and made those into songs with Naval Ravikant and made those into songs. And he's done a bunch. He's done a bunch of work with Jordan Peterson and just turned his like spoken word into into songs i'll give you a link if you're interested I'll yeah, send it out. yeah we actually listened to david goggins book our entire really? road trip that's what we always put on on our road trips so oh dude well i will link you to akira the dawn and david goggins <laughs> uh their their album oh my god it's so freaking good man uh, is, yeah that sounds like right up my alley what are you currently listening to speaking of music what do you have on repeat so Taylor Swift just came out with her new version of one of her old albums, Fearless. So I've been listening to that a lot. Taylor Swift. I've yep. got to, uh, I guess I'll check that out. I always check out every song, <laughs> songs that people tell like me. Like my teenage girl, my inner teenage girl coming out again. <laughs> there you go, man. So I'm going to pull up uh, the random question generator here. So we'll start with the first question. Okay. What is one of your favorite smells? Oh, that's easy. Jasmine. Pet peeves. Ooh, long meetings. <laughs> like this one? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's something you wish you'd figured out sooner? Ooh, I guess my job and what exactly I want to do with my career. I'm still kind of figuring that out and learning every time. You know. Yeah. Do you ever sing when you're alone? What songs? Yeah, all the time. Taylor Swift, Lana Del Rey. Those are like two of my favorites. Nice. All right, with the last one here. When people come to you for help, what do they usually want help with? Uh, definitely math. <laughs> or calculating tips on a bill. That's always my job. <laughs> Madison, thanks so much for, for coming on to the show. Where can people find you? How can they connect with you? Yeah, thank you for having me. So I post a lot on Instagram at May Maddie, M-A-E-M-A-D-D-I-E. And then also my website, madisonmay.org, madison-shot on Medium, and Madison Shot on LinkedIn. Awesome. I will be sure to link to all of those right there in the show notes. You guys connect with Madison. She's got awesome content, putting awesome positivity out there in the world. And you will end up being a healthier person for it. Madison, thank you again for coming on to the show. Appreciate having you here. Thank you for having me.